0: The opinions expressed on the ACB media network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service, nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
1: Hello, welcome to the 2022 GDUI and ACB convention. I'm really excited. I'm Maria Hansen the first vice president of Guide Dog Users, Inc., and the program chair for the event this year. And it's my first time doing that. And um, I've had to follow a few people that have done a tremendous job. So uh, it's a challenge. So I'm really excited to have you here. What I'd like to do first is introduce the president of Guide Dog Users, Inc., Sarah Calhoun, to say a few words.
2: Thank you, Maria, uh, for the nice introduction, and welcome, everyone, to the GDUI Guide Dog School update, and uh, a big thank you to the members and and representatives who have uh, called in, and also people listening on the ACB Media Radio. Um, Thank you for joining us. Uh, If you would uh, be interested in learning more about guide dog users or becoming a member, the annual fees are uh, $15 a year. And we also have state affiliates that you can join your state affiliate and also become a member of GDY and also becoming a member is you become a member of ACB. Uh, Get the membership information and how to join. Please visit our website at www.gdui.org or call our office manager, Lynn Merrill, at 866-799-8436. Some of our great benefits, we have our, uh, our disaster assistance preparedness program, For working uh, teams who have experienced some sort of a catastrophe such as a tornado, hurricane, flooding, we uh, offer uh, some financial assistance to help you through that. Uh, We also have an extremely strong advocacy committee to uh, assist us in our uh, access rights, transportation, and and much more that uh, we encounter. we welcome everyone to join. And again, thank you for uh, joining us today for this presentation. And I'll send it back to Maria and Vicki. I'd like to turn
1: uh, the meeting over to our guide dog school liaison, uh, Vicki Curley. And she'll proceed uh, with the rest of the program until it's well, she'll just let you know how it's going to run. Thanks.
3: Thanks so much, Maria. Um, It is so exciting to be here and to have so many guide dog schools just showing willingness to become a part of this today. This is a very special session, and uh, it is so wonderful to have so many schools participating. Um, Basically, the way this is going to go, we have 14 schools that will be participating hopefully everyone will be able to get in and after each school has presented at the end then we will open the room up for questions from the attendees um, it's going to be a whole lot of information so put your seat belts on i am excited to say that we have several new uh, attendees uh, presenters this uh, year. Pilot Dogs uh, has joined us. Thank you so much. Um, We also have Guide Dogs of Texas that has joined us this year. Very exciting. Uh, Freedom Guide Dogs, it is, I cannot thank you all enough for your willingness to take time out of your very busy day to spend it here with us and so i truly want to thank you all for your willingness to do so um i also would like to thank our attendees for coming especially those who are handlers because well let's face it if it weren't for the handlers there would be no need for the schools. (laughs) So I thank you all for coming and being a part of this session today. I am in hopes of just helping those who uh, want to hear about what their school has been up to, but also if there is anyone who may be thinking about getting a dog guide or who might want to look to a different program, this will be quite informative for you. So let me introduce Rebecca Floyd from Gallant Hearts Guide Dogs.
4: Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. I always enjoy speaking to GDUI and its chapters because uh, after all, we need y'all as much as you need us. Very quickly, let me cover a few things. Um, one, Gallant Hearts is a young school we uh, first organized in 2009, uh, were incorporated then and got our tax-exempt status and our charity status from the state in 2010. We are very, very, very small, which is unfortunate because we have a lot of applicants, and, um, but we um, are continuing to try to grow. Uh, as funding permits. Funding is, as all of you know, a problem nowadays. Um, Donations have been down this year. Um, Income from events uh, have have been down. Uh, So it's really a challenge for all of us in trying to figure out how to save money. Uh, So um, we are growing as fast as we can uh, without endangering our, our services that already exist. Um, we do home placements. Um, somebody can come to us if they want to, but we do mainly home placements. We take the t- trained dog to you and train you and the dog together in the area in which you will live and work. And that way, if you have a difficult route or a difficult area, um, the trainer is there to help you and the dog learn an easier way to do it. Um, I have worked to guide dogs myself for 58 years. Uh, Count them, 58. And uh, I I think home training personally, for me, is the way to go. Um, I was very fortunate and that Pilot Dogs was willing to give me home training for my last two dogs that I got from them. And and that was made a big difference in my life because I had a job but I had to be there and take care of that job. Um, There are various reasons why people need and want home training. Uh, You gain a lot more sometimes from uh, residential training, certainly. You do, you you get to know other people with guide dogs, you have uh, access to their experiences, uh, their trials and tribulations and their successes. Uh, So it's really, um, that's an important part of a lot of people's lives is to be able to go to the school and get that training and um, participate with other people. We have not been affected very much by COVID because we do home training. And because, um, well, the the main thing that has been affected um, are puppy raisers uh, and getting dogs out and in some of the public places um, have been somewhat affected. So we've had to pick up that slack when the dogs come in for training, Um, but it has not affected us unduly. There are a lot of important things about and that are different for with us. One is, of course, um, our breeding program. We do a lot of DNA testing um, and a lot of other testing health wise in our program um, and are continually updating our program on, as DNA tests become available for the breeds we use. Um, We did, for example, last night, have one of our dogs from earlier years, uh, one of our first years, die of cardiomyopathy, um, a disease that will kill 60% of the Dobermans. Um, Just like cancer will get 61.8% of golden retrievers. Um, So we are continually trying to improve the health of our dogs. Now we're breeding only um, dogs that are clear of the two genes for cardiomyopathy uh, that we know about. We know there's one more, but it's not as serious as the first two that have been identified. Um, We are trying to improve. We, We feel pretty good about our English Cream Golden Retriever breeding program. And we feel pretty good about our Doberman breeding program now, but um, we do need some help with our German Shepherd breeding program. We have an occasional standard poodle that we will train that's given to us by a very good standard poodle breeder, Um, but we do not have a breeding program in poodles. We um, are going to try to employ at least on a contractual basis, a GDMI this year. And so, if anybody knows of a GDMI uh, guide dog use a mobility uh, guide dog mobility instructor uh, who wants to work on a contractual basis, um, need to tell them to get in touch with me because we're definitely looking.
5: Really
4: um, nice. We um, My. have built this past yeah. year a whelping kennel. Um, It's a small whelping kennel in keeping with the small gallant hearts. Uh, We we have five runs in that kennel uh, that will accommodate a mama and puppies. Uh, I hope we never have five litters of puppies at one time um, because I won't be able to hold up. Anyway, we have one litter right now uh, and it happens to be a litter of 12 Doberman puppies. Um, it's fun staying up all night delivering puppies. But uh, anyway, we will soon be doing the same thing with a German Shepherd litter. A German Shepherd litter for which we have high hopes. Um, this is a, 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 a breeding that we have wanted to do. So hopefully, it's going to be a lot better than we have had in the past. Um, Fundraising, of course, is a big part of any guide dog schools program, and we do have events like our 5K run walk in the spring. Um, We are working a lot with our Delta Gamma chapters. Uh, In fact, we're to have an event uh, in July where we'll bring uh, four four ladies from each of five chapters minimum, and maybe more, uh, to the Jackson, Mississippi area. And uh, they will go through um, Friday night and Saturday uh, of training to learn more about guide dogs, about blindness, uh, about gallant hearts, of course, and about puppy raising. um, Because from our Delta Gamma chapters, we get some puppy raisers. Um, So we are very fortunate to have a good working relationship with our Delta Gamma chapters in the Southern part of the United States. So I I think probably I've used my five minutes. So I'm going to stop now. um, And I know there will be a lot of questions at the end. So I will be here, trust me. (laughs) Rebecca, thank you so, so very much.
3: I just love hearing about some of these newer programs and well we know somebody who's very near and dear to our hearts who has a doberman from gallant hearts and we also also know someone else who has a beautiful golden from gallant hearts wonder who that rounder who our heart person is (laughs) um thank you again so much rebecca so the next um, guide dog school on my list, which is very random, I might add, is Diane Bergeron from CNIB Guide Dogs. Diane?
6: Thanks very much uh, for asking us to join. CNIB Guide Dogs uh, was uh, launched in April of 2017, and at that time we had two staff members literally working out of their own home with, their, with our first two puppies that we got from Crew Dogs in Australia, two little golden retrievers. And um, now we celebrated our five year anniversary in April, and we are currently sitting at 55 guide dog teams across the country. Um, we've had more than 180 puppies come into our program from Australia breeders in Canada and the United States. We have 125, uh, puppy raisers and boarders uh, that work with us, uh, around the, around the country, um, that are just absolutely phenomenal. Those of us that use guide dogs know that it's our puppy raisers that start the process, uh, of the training. Um, guide dog mobility instructors and guide dog trainers are phenomenal, but the, uh, the puppy raisers are the ones that put the foundation down to, to make that our guide dogs possible. CNIB Guide Dogs has three career streams, we're going to call it. First, of course, is guide dogs, which we all know about. Secondly is buddy dogs, and buddy dogs are those dogs that don't have whatever they need to become a guide dog. Um, they have their talents in other directions, and we match our buddy dogs with children and youth with sight loss who are looking to either uh, learn what it's like to take care of a dog so that they might be able to get their own guide dog in the future when they qualify, or for someone who's a little bit, we've got some kids are kind of afraid of dogs and they're looking to gain some uh, confidence with dogs. The dogs are not trained as service animals at this point. They are doing that, but we have not, um, we have not yet done our ADI certification. We're gonna be getting into that shortly. Um, but buddy dogs really help those kids to build their confidence. It helps them to gain their cane skills a little bit more, uh, because they need to take the dogs for walks and they need to use their canes for that. So, and then the third stream is our ambassador dog program, which are dogs that are matched with staff or high-end volunteers that take our dogs out to some of our fundraising events, schools to talk about guide dogs and some other events, um, that just to raise awareness and education on, the, uh, on guide dogs and what they do and how wonderful they are. Um, so, so that's how we do. We primarily use crew dogs in Australia to get our dogs um, from that breeder because they are specifically bred for uh, this work. However, during COVID, we were not able to get uh, puppies from them for about a year. Uh, so we had to look for other options. And of course, that means right at the moment, unfortunately, our, we are very short of dogs. Um, last year, uh, Leader Dogs and GDF really stepped up and helped us out by providing us with some of the dogs that they had already puppy raised, but weren't able to get out to their, their students. So we've, we've been training with those dogs, but we're really short of dogs right now, um, working really hard to try and resolve that. We don't have our own breeding program, although uh, we are now starting. We have uh four females that we have uh, set aside at this point uh, are being tested um, for um, for our broods, for our breeding program. And we have um, we have contracted with someone who is uh, a breeder or who was a breeder at one time at a guide dog program is now retired, this contracted with us just to give us some advice. And so far three out of the four that he's uh, looked at um, with the, he, he has said that it looked pretty good, and we're going to move forward with a little bit more of the DNA testing and so on and so forth, and make sure that the genetics are good. Um, in order for us to advance our breeding program in the future and make it uh, as big as possible to meet the needs that we want to meet, we are going to be building a breeding facility uh, somewhere in Ontario. We haven't decided exactly where yet. And um, hopefully that will be. Um, that will be built and ready to open in 2024, 2025. And that'll give us the opportunity to bring in um, uh, pregnant moms and give them an opportunity to um, give birth in a very secure and safe and sanitary conditions. We will also be using community homes as well for those people that are willing to do whelping in their own homes. So there'll there'll be a blended program. we have 158 acre property just outside of Ottawa in a place called Carlton Place, Ontario. Uh, we have just finished um, renovating uh, one side of it. So we, the, the, it was a commercial breeding facility and equine center in the past. We basically gutted the whole building and we put up on the south side of the building, we've got a kennel uh, that was already um, built and we've just finished renovating the north side. And we'll now have the capacity to uh, board in there uh, up to 170 dogs over the year, um, in the complete year. So with with the hope that we'll be able to do as much training as possible. The center part of the building is a, what used to be the equine arena where they did dressage and so on. And that has now been completely gutted. It's got a uh, just the concrete on the floor, but we're planning to build an indoor training arena in Canada, as you can imagine, it gets pretty cold here. And uh, we're looking to build something where dogs can start their training and they can learn some of the techniques and the skills that they're going to need with very little distraction. We can add distraction in and complexity complexity, um, as the dog Mm -hmm. builds confidence and gains their experience. So that's going to be going forward. And I think um, just the last little piece is around the demand right now. Um, we have a very high, uh, demand, uh, of people have, a, that are applying to us. Of course, with COVID, a lot of things happen, but because of our dog shortage, um, we, we are going to be trying our best to get that, that list down as quickly as possible, but it's going to take time in order to do that. We prepared by, we now have 37 staff on our team, including, uh, three guide dog mobility instructors, two certified guide dog trainers, and six guide dog training apprentices and two GDMI apprentices. They are all ready for dogs to come in and they're all ready to take them on and do what we can. So if we can get the dog supply, we're gonna increase um, our, uh, our ability to put dogs out. So we're ready for the, we're ready for the dogs to come in, but mother nature will make that decision for us, I expect. And I think I'll leave it at that Vicki so that I don't take up more time than I should.
3: <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Diane. So very interesting. And I know that all the schools are really struggling trying to get back to capacity. And I know for myself, I truly do appreciate the incredible effort that the schools are putting into that as there are quite a few folks on waiting lists waiting for a new four-footed friend our next uh, presenter is Guide Dog Foundation, and that is, and I, I already said this name incorrectly. Lauren Berklin.
7: You actually got it right. Oh Thank my goodness. <laughs> Yay me! Yay! <laughs> Thank you so much, Lauren. The floor is yours. Thank you. Um, so, as Vicki said, my name is Lauren Berkland, and I'm our consumer relations coordinator within our graduate support team at the Guide Dog Foundation and America's Vet Dogs. Uh, we're all located in Smithtown, New York, which is on Long Island. Um, and since 1946, we've breed, raised, trained, and placed uh, guide dogs free of charge for people um, who are 16 or older, um, who are blind or have low vision, and we do this through our 14-day on-campus and home training programs. At this moment, we currently have Labrador Retrievers, Golden Retrievers, and Labrador, crosses of, Labrador Golden Crosses available. Um, We use a small student to instructor ratio of two to one with our classes on average being six to eight students. We support our graduate teams through nationwide continuing education, virtual and in-person support, and phone support as well when it comes to any training, canine care, or access-related need. Um, And during the last fiscal year, which will end on July 1st, We have placed or are in the process of placing, we actually have a class on right now, um, 58 new guide dog teams. Our current wait time for new applicants is anywhere from nine to 12 months. Obviously, as we all know, that can vary with anybody's extenuating circumstances. Um, When it comes to COVID at this time, we are requiring students to take two negative rapid tests before arriving to campus. We provide the tests um, and then have this, well, we provide one of them and the other is brought to the student at the airport. Um, and so you're still, recovering that cost. Um, and then throughout class and travel to class, we do require mask usage when students are indoors and when social distancing or physical distancing cannot be maintained. At this time, we are prioritizing fully vaccinated applicants for on-campus training Um, and hope to be able to serve more of our unvaccinated consumers through um, home trainings. So on our graduate support and admissions team um, we've actually redesigned our consumer services office to be two separate departments but we're still under the same roof. So well actually we're kind of all over but we're under in the same umbrella of consumer services still. Um, And and through these specialized departments, we're able to really target either our applicants through our admissions process and then supporting our graduates continuing on as well. And then obviously we all know people can fit both sides of that at the same time. So will the teams continue to to work together? As it comes to any staff updates we've had. um, So Brad Hibbert, our chief program officer will actually be transitioning into a new role as our chief strategy officer, and we are currently looking to fill the position of chief program officer. We've had three new field service representatives join our team in the last year. Um, They're located between Florida, Washington, and Colorado. And we do still have one open position that we're looking to possibly do, you know, the tri-state area or or somewhere in the more Midwest to the east side. Um, but we are open to applicants from wherever. Um, we do also have our first remote instructor now working from Atlanta, Georgia. And our three guide dog apprentices are entering their final year and will be graduating and taking their exams in March of 23. Um, As far as training updates we've kind of redesigned the way we train our dogs for working on train platforms and this new way utilizes more positive reinforcement methods in the beginning of platform training and thus results in safer, more confident teams. Uh, We continue to offer duly trained dogs to assist with physical disabilities, hearing loss, or PTSD to only veterans, and this is through our sister program, America's Vet Dogs. So that would be a guide dog that has some of those more traditional service dog tasks as well. At this time, and you may have noticed uh, when I mentioned breeds earlier, We did have to, after careful analysis of our long waiting list and our ability to produce qualified poodles, standard poodles, we have made the decision to suspend new poodle applications. The suspension has not applied to anyone who had already applied when we initiated this, anyone who'd been accepted, or our returning poodle guide dog client. As far as graduate outreach, we've continued with our monthly newsletters and emails, which include lectures, training tips on advocacy, um, tips regarding travel, anything you can think of, as well as our monthly podcasts. Um, And then we have continued to work with Assistance Dogs International on the hopeful launch of the digital ID card. Um, we still continue our regular outreach when it mm-hmm. comes to local communities and, and obviously applicants. Um, and the contact info for us is www.guidedog.org, 631 930 9070. Or you can email consumer services at guidedog.org, or you can come visit us in the exhibit hall. Um, well, in just over a week um, if you're taking, making it to Omaha. And thank you.
3: Thank you so much, Lauren. Boy, you guys are amazing. What (laughs) thorough, terrific reports.
7: Well, thank you. (laughs) We all got together and wrote it, so I can't say you (laughs) credit.
3: Hey, whatever it takes. (laughs) So moving on, our next presenter is Freedom Guide Dogs. Eric Laurie, fellow Floridian, take it away, Eric.
8: Thanks, Vicki. Yes, fellow Floridian for almost two years now, trying to fill the shoes of John Byfield, who retired two years ago at 83 years old. still going. He's still involved in the puppy program with our razors on the West Coast in the um, We um, We're going to be celebrating. It's already come, gone by, but officially celebrating our 30th anniversary of 30 years of guide dogs um, with freedom guide dogs. So we're going to do that this July. We're placing approximately anywhere from 35 to 40 guide dog teams a year. We've added an apprentice in for us aging trainers that will age out eventually. I hope to go another 12 years into my mid seventies. I'll never make John's goal of 83. Um, We are doing hypoallergenic dogs and we put a lot of time, energy, and effort into Um, We learned that from the French when we were at the international meeting, that that's what they use instead of poodles. Unfortunately, we have not been as happy as they are with them. And we've, um, after the breed dog's last litter, and we've decided to move on and have been ex- not necessarily experimenting with, but we've had a lot of success with the few we used and we're breeding our own. going to be breeding our own this fall, Bouviers. They were used many years ago by some guide dog programs, but usually just by donated. We're we're creating our own uh, Bouvier um, um, team, a breed team, and uh, we're going to work on it and possibly expand it beyond one breed dog, Um, depending how how successful they are. Right now, three out of four have succeeded, one in the Bronx in New York City with the elevated train and no problem there, and the others were in various places around the country. So we're pretty happy with them, and we're, we're hoping to see more of them. Again, you know, with all these uh, non-shedders, the downside is it's costly because people have to have them clipped every three to four months a year. So anybody that's allergic to dogs, unfortunately, is burdened with that added expense. Our, our new director of training as of last year is David Such. He was with us. He's been with us for over 12 years. And went, back then when John Byfield joined us from Fidelco, we spent um, three years, each of us, training each an apprentice parallel and then group training together. And uh, the one John trained is ironically our director of training. So he, he lives on for another generation after I'm done. Um, we've been very happy with it. The other fellow got married and his wife said, I don't want you training. So that's the spoils of home training unfortunate but so um, we have one apprentice now we're adding another apprentice in two years because we're small and we can only place so many dogs physically ourselves that we'll add when the first, first apprentice is uh, adequate at placing dogs under minimal supervision we'll take on another one so we're just paving for the future my wife if you don't know her Sharon um was the other uh, half of the founding of this team and she's the breeder. And basically, somewhat of an office manager, bookkeeper. She she's semi-retired now, and just consulting. As we hired two people to replace her, so we have two grand people on staff to take her place, in younger and younger in years. And we're we're just trying to make sure that you know, as a as a so-called mom and pop uh, charity in the beginning, it doesn't die by the wayside when we're done. Uh, we've done a lot. We've made, done a lot of great things, a lot of progress. We have a special needs program, which I tend to headman myself, but David's done well himself in getting involved in that when I need him to. And we have one contract trainer out of uh, the western part of the state of New York, which is another. We all laugh. Lauren would laugh. She doesn't know any of us, but we're all from the Guide Dog Foundation originally. (laughs) So, you know, by you know John Byfield, myself, uh, Jeff Butterman, um, and now David through attrition, through just being trained that way. So, um, we are quite happy with where we are. Um, we're, We're planning ahead just to build the future without necessarily growing. Keep it small. We have a you know place 40, maybe someday in a miracle, 50 dogs a year. We still only serve the East Coast and the whole nation for veterans. Ironically, I have more veterans out in the Midwest and around the country than we do on the East Coast for the small group that we do, because um, the foundation does a great job with veterans, but we still offer to the, serve them if they want to come to us and, and that. So I thank you very much. Short and sweet. <laughs>
3: thank you so much, Eric. Okay, so the next one on my handy dandy little list here is the seeing eye, Dave Johnson, my friend, Dave. Uh, <laughs> and I know that also in attendance with Dave is Chelsea White and Melissa Almond. It is your turn.
9: Uh, thanks Vic for, for uh, the introduction and I'll start out and I'll let chelsea and uh, melissa chime in if there's anything i think i've missed uh here um i don't really want to take up a lot of time going back in history we've been around since 1929 and we're uh, gearing up looking at our 100th anniversary coming up in a few years so we're uh eager to celebrate that but um as far as our program goes we're primarily a residential program um we're known for that We do some home trainings and we do a program called Home and Away where we start people here on campus, make sure the match is solid, and then finish the training at home. Um, We use Labradors, Labrador Golden Crosses, Golden Retrievers, and German Shepherds. Uh, We have dabbled some in the standard poodles for those who have allergy issues, but Uh, Like the foundation, we're only taking care of folks who uh, have had them in the past and not taking new applications. The success rate just isn't there in those breeds. Um, We, uh, for our classes here on campus, we are uh, 25 days for a new student and 18 for a retrain and uh, we've we're in our third class right now of having full attendance uh, since the COVID outbreak. So we were doing half classes at reduced ratios, and we're up to uh, normal ratios now. I think there's 20 people here now, and we've we're just shy. Once this graduate uh, class graduates, of serving 300 during the pandemic. Um, I was just looking at the numbers. Uh, Recently, Uh, we've budgeted for next year, or we're looking ahead to next year's budget of just having a normal year. Um, You know, God, good Lord willing, and the river don't rise. Um, We just don't know what things could happen, but we are uh, we are prioritizing folks who are vaccinated right now, and we are also testing before people come. Of late, what we've been doing with the class is successfully, I mean, I, t- I touch wood every time I say this, um, we haven't had any cases on campus with students, um, despite the numbers of passing 300 people through here. Um, we've got great protocols, but one of the things we're doing now, despite the, the rules and regs throughout the country, we're asking everybody to mask while they, they're testing with a PCR before they come. They're masking while they travel and we mask for the first seven days of class um, just to get past the incubation period of anybody who might contract something something while they're traveling. And it's surfaced well so far, um, touching wood again um, so far. Um, a friend of mine who's an MD says it's not if you're going to get it, it's when. She said she really thinks that we're all going to get it eventually. So we do the best with what we can. Um, here on campus, we've done some exciting things and uh, we have mapped the building uh, with good maps LIDAR and are just getting that kicked off and uh, starting we, we've beta tested with a few students. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, uh, it allows you to use your smartphone. And because the building's been mapped folks can orient themselves to the building by using their smartphone It tells them. What office is what? And what part of the building they're in? It's had some kinks that we've worked out. We're, we're getting ready to release it to more, more of our students soon, but we we haven't done it widely yet. Um, Melissa Allman uh, has been knocking herself out over the last year, uh, working on an advocacy app um, that that would be similar to oh the old guide dog laws handbook that we all had the little. Uh, I think ADI produced it for a while. This thing, I produced it for a long time and then ADI took it over. But anyway, it will be an app available on your smartphone that will uh, give you federal, state, and uh, prob- provincial laws throughout North America um, at, you know, at your fingertips on your, on your smartphone. So, um Trying to think if there's anything else. Chelsea or Melissa, anything you'd like to say? I don't want to take up too much more time.
6: It's Chelsea.
5: Um, the only thing I would add is that we are going to be at ACB. Yep. So if anybody is going to travel to Omaha and be at convention, uh, we will be there. Um, we are lucky number booth 13.
10: <laughs>
5: oh. um, <and laughs> so everybody can remember that.
6: Um, so I will be there.
5: Uh, Ellen Ringel will be there. And then uh, Lucas will be there starting on Monday of convention. So just,
11: I want to say something about the, the advocacy app that Dave discussed. Another thing about this app that we're really trying to to do with it is to organize laws topically where possible. So if you want to know in your state, uh, what the what the housing law says, not just the federal Fair Housing Act, which we do have, but you want, you know, we have the guidance. But if you want to know what your law says in your state, if there's a specific housing provision, we tried, we've tried to arrange that topically um, by various categories, and we've tried to include summaries at the beginning of the public access laws that will tell you who it protects and whether or not it's a criminal offense in the given state to deny access. And then we've also, we're have also we also gonna be including some other educational materials that people can use if they wanna educate entities like healthcare facilities or um, taxi drivers. And we're gonna be having the ride share policies in there so that you can educate yourself about those or grab those if you need them quickly. So just wanted to say a little bit more about that. Thanks.
9: Thanks for that, Melissa. All right, it's back to you, Vic.
3: All right. Well, thank you so very much, Melissa, Chelsea, and Dave. (laughs) Dave has had the, I don't know if you want to call it a misfortune or of working with me several times in class. And I learned a lot from Dave. Uh, So thank you so very much. So guiding eyes
12: and Melissa, it is your floor now. So happy to be here. My name is Melissa Carney. I'm the Community Outreach and Graduate Support Manager at Guiding Eyes. I'm pretty new to the scene. I just started at the end of November, so I'm thrilled to be able to represent Guiding Eyes at this convention. This is, on a personal note, my first convention, so I look forward to meeting many of you in person and virtually. We have a few updates to share with you all. Um, We're still offering the same programs at Guiding Eyes. So we offer a residential program, home training program, um, a specialized training program, and our running guides program. So the biggest change that has taken place with the residential training program is we've now moved to a two-week model Um, And our class sizes are now typically about four to five students. So this is a direct result from the pandemic and it's to limit possible exposure. But what this also does is gives our students the chance to have a more customized training while they're in class. So there's only, there's two to three instructors for those four to five students. So this allows them to go to environments that they'll be frequenting a lot when they return home and really work on personalizing their skills that they need with their dogs. The home training program is still the same, but again, two weeks. We've added a new regional guide dog mobility instructor in our field support team that will be conducting home trainings, but also allowing more flexibility for at-home support when our students in the residential training program return home. Um, The specialized training program that we offered is appropriate for any, any students or applicants who are applying to Guiding Eyes who may have additional needs or disabilities. So anyone who may be deafblind, who may have CP, balance issues, this is a program that you might consider our dogs are specially trained to fit your needs. Um, So for example, in the case of one of our students who is deafblind, the dog is trained in purely visual cues so that the handler does not have to rely on verbal communication. And our instructors in that program are all certified in tactile sign. For our running guides program, Again, the dogs are specially trained to run with our students. So they learn the same skills. This is an add-on program. You're issued a special UniFly Roughwear wear harness. Um, and again, you'll, you'll learn how to become comfortable on bike paths and other common running routes that you have. You'll learn these skills and how to run with your dog during training. But once again, it can also carry on carry over to receiving at-home support to learn roots in your home area. As far as other changes, um, besides our class size and length for the residential program, we also follow strict protocols. Um, So every student is tested before and after they arrive on campus. Any guests coming to our campus have to show proof of vaccination. And likewise for anyone working directly with their students has to show that they has to show a negative COVID test. As far as some accessibility modifications we've made to campus, we are now using way around tabs so that students can accessibly read our menu. Um, they can read bathroom signs. Um, they can read what's in our, our gift shop. And a few other things that are uploaded or updated on a regular basis. So that's an exciting, exciting addition to our campus. We've also begun modifying some of our dorm rooms with things like color contrast to be more accessible to those with low vision. And probably our biggest update is that we've implemented and, and started a client experience team. So this will include members of admission, um, myself, community outreach and graduate support manager, and some former um, guide dog mobility instructors, one and a couple of graduates. Um, we are actually looking to fill one of our client navigator positions who will be responsible for mentoring, um, mentoring our graduates through their journey. So please feel free to visit our website to learn more. And if you would like to get in touch with us and have any questions, we're in booth 20 in the exhibit hall, and you can reach me directly at 914-243-2244. We look forward to meeting you. Thank you
3: so very much, uh, Melissa. The next presenter, I'm so excited. This is one of our newbies. I would like to welcome Guide Dogs of Texas, Jamie Massey.
13: Like Vicki said, my name is Jamie Massey. I'm the Chief Program Officer at Guide Dogs of Texas. Um, We are located in San Antonio, Texas, and we provide guide dogs only to Texan residents. Um, So you have to live in the state of Texas to apply at Guide Dogs of Texas. Um we started in 1989, but only as a puppy raising school. So we would send puppies to other schools uh, once they were ready to go into advanced training. Um, but we became a fully functioning school in 1998 when we had our first GDMI come over from the UK. Um, and our first dog placed was Harley. Uh, So our program, has a very European um, structure and we use more of like the European um, equipment. Um, We started our breeding program in 2010. Um, Her name was Poppy. And so even our breeding program um, is on the newer side of things when talking about some of these other uh, guide dog schools. Um, But a little bit about our program is we have 100% of our placements um, in home training. Um, So we travel across Texas, and do all of the training from home. Uh, class is usually about three weeks. Uh, sometimes if it's a returning client, we're able to graduate them sooner, but I always tell them no pressure. We can um, stay as long as needed. Our waiting list is not a first come first serve waiting list. We go by best match. That means um, in this past year, I've had an applicant um, apply, get accepted to our waiting list, and she only waited a few weeks before we had the perfect match for her because that was just how the dogs matched and were placed. But then, of course, we have people that um, can wait upwards to three years we do give um, priority to returning clients. Um, So most of our returning clients are able to retire their dog um, and start class with their new dog on the same day, if that's something that they want. uh matching is also kind of um, something I like about Guide Dogs of Texas is once we uh, find a match for one of our applicants, we bring the dog out to their home area. Um, they get to go on a walk with the dog. They get to learn everything about the dog, um, how they are socially, how they are with work, um, the whole health background. Uh, the family gets to meet the dog and then they get to decide if they feel like this is the right dog for them. If so, we will schedule class at that point, Um, but we always allow about a month period of time between that matching visit and class so we can customize the dog for that specific client, which of course is um, very much needed when you have a match for someone who has dual disabilities but um, it's also really nice for just training the dog um, for that specific person's, you know, gait, their height. You know, I've had a four ten instructor match a dog to someone who is 6'2", so they were able to get the dog to really start looking um, up extra high on the overhead. So really taking the dog everywhere that that client specifically goes. I know here in Texas, we have a lot of rodeos, um, so getting the dog um, around horses, cows, um, all that good stuff, making sure the dog will be nice and settled once they go to their forever home. At this point, we have a 100% graduation rate, um, meaning meaning that if a client goes out on class with a dog, um, we've graduated 100% of those teams. And I think that is definitely due to the in-home placement and that um, customization before class. Um, But if you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.guidedogsoftexas.org. Thank you.
3: Thank you so, so very much that it's just wonderful to have you here, and we hope to hear from you many more years to come about your progress. Um, okay, uh, another newbie, I would like to welcome Pilot Dogs for the Blind, Jim Alloway and Steve Hoyt. You
14: guys are up. So uh, to everybody, I'm I'm relatively new. Um, I just celebrated actually a couple of days ago my one-year anniversary at Pilot Dogs. Um, and it has been, you know, I always tell people like when I was 28 years old, for whatever reason, like that year was the best year of my life. If this isn't number one, it's probably number two. And I feel really guilty that... You know, I've been through some jobs that I thought, okay, I love this. Um, and so I'm going to I'm gonna have that saying of I'm never going to work a day in my life. Well, I, I, it wasn't really true um, until I found Pilot Dogs. And it's been that way for the last 367 days now um, that I've just thoroughly enjoyed it. I've loved it. Um, and it is a, a dream job. Like I said, I, I feel guilty telling people that, but that that is the reality. Um, so it's really easy a lot of you know the history of pilot dogs more than i do um but when i came on board you know i i asked very quickly the board like what you know what's the goal here like are you hiring somebody just to maintain the status quo if so you're gonna hate me and i'm not the right guy uh or do you want to be you know uh considered one of the top schools like all of you guys are? Um, pilot Dogs enjoyed a reputation, I think, at one point that was much stronger than it had grown to be in the last, you know, 10, 20 years, whatever it is. So um, they said, yeah, we we want the best and, and we want to be the best. I said, OK, great. Um So from that standpoint, um, we are and have begun changing almost everything. Um, so. It, it's it's tough to hone in on any one thing. A lot of you guys have touched on on some things that you know we're doing or we're evolving to. Um, and I'm somewhat embarrassed to say that we're just playing catch up. Like, yeah, we're we now have a full OM program and an OM instructor, and we now require that somebody goes through OM training before they come to us. Like I think everybody else does that. We're we're behind the eight ball. Um, our breeding program, I thought it was funny. Um, I think it was Jamie said. Uh, started in 2010, so relatively young. Yeah, our, our breeding program started about six months ago. So we, we, we unfortunately, um, the dog quality uh, that I saw uh, when I was here. Oh, so my background, I've been training dogs since I was probably three or four years old. Uh, not very good until I was probably in my teens and then uh, after law school really honed in on dog training. So um, part of my background has been dog evaluation and uh, the dogs that we had were um, substandard. Uh, We were uh, training, I think, six or seven different breeds. We have uh, uh, whittled that down, our one breed, because of the constant Cost and uh, poodle failings uh, that we're playing around with is uh, Portuguese water dogs. I've got a big background with Portuguese water dogs and knew some breeders that that I trusted, and I think um, so far so good. Um, but I don't know uh, to um, I think it was Diane at C N I B Diane up in Canada. Um yeah, we're we're behind the eight ball from a mother nature standpoint. Um, you know, there's puppies that we acquired when I first got here um that are now just you know 12 and 13 months old, if that. Um so very, very behind as far as breeding. Um, but we've got one person now who is hundred percent focused on breeding uh and dog acquisition. Um to Diane, uh we too are building, oops, can you even see that or is it blurred? Not that it matters, but we're building a new breeding facility. We're building a new hotel. I call it a hotel. It's dorms. It's just getting people out of the mindset that what we had before was okay. So, um, spending probably eight to ten million dollars on that over the next couple of years. Um, and if anybody's got help, so one if, minute. Uh, as far as the the naming of the place, so. We, we've gone from um, the the whelping Wonderland, uh, the bitch's bungalow, which obviously that's not going to stick. Um, genetic. We're we're looking for help on naming our building. If anybody's got any slick ideas, we would love that because the whelping Wonderland and the bungalow are not going to make it. Um, we've bought a couple of acres of land since I've been here. We're trying to amass. We're downtown Columbus. Uh, we've got about two and a half city blocks. We're trying to finalize that and buy. Uh, make sure that we have three. Uh, so we're getting close. Um, we have changed uh, our offerings a little bit. So we still do uh, guide dogs, obviously. Um, we now do veteran service dogs and veteran uh, PTSD dogs. Um, like everybody else, we do uh, traditional um, Folks from here. Uh, we will go to them or we do some blend of the two. Um, from an ultra standpoint, you know, I, I told everybody, it's really, really simple. Like we are nice to everybody. We partner with everybody that it makes sense to partner with and we help. And we do it as a team and the expectation. And if you can do that and you're excited about that, then great. Let's find a spot. Um, and if that doesn't sound right for you, then then maybe something else is is better for you. Um, but um, from a culture standpoint, um, again, if any of your pilot dogs, I, I try to make sure, you know, it, it starts with me um, and I am, um, uh, it, it, we are working very hard as a team and I want everybody that's on this team to know how valued they are. Um, but the expectations um, from, from those standpoints are, are obviously very high. So that's a big change. Um, training. Uh, I would say from top to bottom, uh, everything has changed again, that's my background. So, um, I don't, I can't have a training director tell me, oh yeah, we're just going to do a, B and C and that's going to work. Like I I can immediately diagnose whether or not, you know, some kind of training method is, you know, bunk or they're just making something up or it's not within the spirit of, of positive reinforcement and lots and lots of repetition and, and what's going to last, um. Uh, for the longest period of time. So, uh, everything from, uh, you know, what we are doing with five week olds to what we're doing with dogs right before they go out, um, is, is evolved and changed. And probably the biggest thing we're requiring our uh, co-pilots to come back and, or I'm sorry, uh, our pilots are puppy raisers. So we do not, um, uh, they, they all come back for private training. So whether it's on zoom, whether it's us going to their house um, I tell, or we tell all of them that this is like you've acquired a puppy and you've bought a, uh, $8,000 training package from somebody like you got to use it. And so we don't, um, um pets or any place else like that. uh, equipment, new harnesses, new leashes, new vests, new everything. O&M, we've got a new program, new website, new marketing. Everything's new. We've got a new logo too. If you ever saw the old logo, it was a major problem. I think If you guys want one of these waddles and you stop by Columbus, I'll be glad to give you one. Uh, That's about it. I'm sorry. I'm I'm trying to talk fast because just that alone, I could talk for probably eight hours on and bore the hell out of all of you. So um, I hope that was complete. And obviously when the time is right, I'll answer, you know, whatever questions anybody has. Oh, if I didn't say how honored I am to be here, or if I didn't express it, like I'm I'm super honored. I'm super uh, excited to be part of, of, Uh, this, this group and um, uh, this industry. It's, it's nothing, uh, nothing's ever touched me quite like what this has. So thank you all very much.
3: Well, Jim, it's so great to have you. And we hope that you will be a part of this for many years to come. It is certainly great to hear of all the new things going on at Pilot Dog. Yeah. And um, I, I know how it is to to talk about, I could talk about this for days. So, um, yes, I do understand. And thank you so much for that wonderful report. Okay, of course. Um, our next presenter is Guide Dogs of America, Greg Steinmetz. You are up.
0: Thank you, Vicki. Appreciate that. Uh, it's wonderful to be with you all again this year. Um, I am the Manager of Admissions and Graduate Services at Guide Dogs of America, and I've been here now almost five years. Uh, I'm also a client. I've had three wonderful guide dogs from this program. Uh, guide Dogs America is located in um, Silmar, California, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. We were founded in 1948. And ever since then, um, we are proud to say that we don't have any upper age limits as far as our training is concerned for our students, Uh, we do require students be at least 18 years of age to attend our program. Uh, We offer uh, residential training it's a 21 day training program here on our campus, Uh, we also offer some limited in home training for uh, graduates who have had dogs from us in the past. Um, Our dormitory, our our whole campus has basically uh, been renovated in the last five years. Um, So, here at GDA, we have about seven acres on our campus. Uh, That includes our breeding center, uh, as well as our kennel and veterinary office, our dormitory, our administrative building, our visitor center and auditorium and um we have just finished and concluded our renovation of our kennel center and veterinary offices so they're now state-of-the-art it's much brighter and cleaner environment for our guide dogs and training and our dogs that are in for boarding from our puppy raising program Uh, We have a full veterinary center here on campus and offer uh, continuing care to our graduates uh, through that veterinary center for people that wanna use that that facility. Uh, Our dormitory was renovated uh, about three and a half years ago. So all of our students have their own private rooms and bathrooms. Um, All of the uh, student rooms have an attached relief area, both concrete and grass. Um, as well as uh, our um, lecture room and student lounge. Uh, All of our rooms uh, are now equipped with their own TV and Alexa device. It's voice controlled. All the the, um, thermostats are voice controlled. So we try to make our clients and students as comfortable as possible while they're here. We're primarily breeding Labrador Retrievers. We do also use the Labrador Golden Retriever Cross, which has been really successful here at GDA. Uh, We do a few Shepherds each year and a few Goldens each year. We're using uh, positive reinforcement and praise-based rewards for our guide dog training program Um, and Our average wait list right now is about six months. Um, COVID um, has caused some issues like our colleagues at all the other programs. Um, We are requiring that students be fully vaccinated to attend our program. Uh, Students are required to test prior to coming to class. Um, our mask requirements have eased in the, in the city of the county of Los Angeles, so uh, students are encouraged to wear face masks at all time while they're here, but it's not required um, by the city anymore. Um, we are fortunate to be in Los Angeles and have a wide variety of training areas that we can work in, so we have Uh, busy urban areas we have some our campus kind of in a rural area so we have a lot of walkless travel that we can teach Uh, we're fortunate to have both light rail and subway uh, public transit and um, I think for our clients that are looking for specific breeds our wait list could be a little longer our German Shepherd program is probably a year to two year uh, average wait list thank you Um, And um, I think that as far as graduate services, um, our graduate services team is here to support our our, uh, graduates with advocacy, uh, etiquette, um, training, and behavior issues once they go home. Uh, During COVID, we instituted an ongoing graduate services Zoom meeting. It's open to all of our, our clients. Uh, we cover a variety of topics, including, obviously, guide dog-related issues, but also technology, uh, advocacy, um, and other uh, blind and visually impaired um, concerns. And um, we will look forward to seeing most of you at a uh, convention in Omaha. We look forward to having you stop by our booth. And um, you can certainly always get more information from our website, Uh You can contact us direct admissions at guidedogsofamerica.org. And uh, we look forward to, to meeting many of you. Thank you for the time.
3: Thank you so very much, uh, Greg. Um, all right, next on our list is... Fidelco Guide Dog Foundation. And that presenter is Gretchen Fisher. You are on.
5: Hello, everybody. It's always a pleasure to be here um, on the panels and catch up with guide dog users and other guide dog schools. Um, I'm just gonna give a a little um, outline of information. And I know that we wanna leave plenty of time for questions. Um, As to the history of the school, that's probably uh, best answered by why shepherds? We get that question, how come only shepherds? Um, Fidelco was founded in originally its first step of the founding was in 1960 as a breeding organization Called Fidelity Breeders Cooperative by Charlie and Roby Kaman, two very amazing people. They donated shepherds to and to, and they they bought dogs, brought over dogs from Germany, um, herding dogs especially, so working herding dogs. So they um, donated dogs to other guide dog schools and also produced dogs for police and some for pets. And then in 1981 founded Fidelco as an official school with a training and placement program, breeding training placement program. So we've been around as a school since 1981, but the process of breeding uh, temperament for guide dog work has been going on since 1960. And since that's how we started, and that's really uh, our whole training program, everything we do is really evolved around what makes German Shepherds successful. So we, are, we have stuck with that. There are a lot of labs available um, from really good schools. So we stick with what we are good at, especially because we've really designed everything around this breed. Um, we are in community. So besides Shepherds, we're in community. Our placement is uh, 15 days, 10 days, if you've had a dog from us. We do have a wait list for those people who are accepted. We, we for I've been at FidoCo now for close to 20 years and there's always been a wait list. It is longer than normal, um, in part because uh, during the pandemic, we were restricted from traveling by the state of Connecticut. So we were really limited for about a year and a half as to how many away placements we could do. Um, the other piece is that because of the pandemic, they it, Fidelco scaled back the breed program a little bit because they didn't know what was going to happen. Because that affects, of course, puppy raisers. It affects our ability to travel. It affects our ability to um, place guide dogs. So that's and not a huge restriction, but just a small one, uh, but that does, of course, impact our dog numbers for the next couple of years because we made a deliberate slight retraction in the number of dogs being bred just because we really didn't know what was going to be happening. And we are, we are a space limited school. We don't have a lot of extra room and we don't really have a lot of physical growth room. Um, so we really didn't want a backlog of dogs building up in the kennel. It's also not fair to the dogs. Uh, I can say our puppy raiser program, which of course none of us are here without a puppy raiser program in some way, shape or form, we, we were happy to incorporate permanently some of the creative changes that were made um, during the pandemic, fewer classes, more one-on-one, more in-person. Um, and so we've kept that piece of it. We still, we've gone back to some classes, but we still uh, are heavily involved. Um, in more one on one from the ground up instead of using that as more of a troubleshooting perspective. Um, I would say that uh, the pandemic like everyone else has changed the face of fundraising some of those challenges we were able to turn into opportunities so like a lot of not for profits we have new kinds of fundraising and have been successful at some of that which is, which is great. Um, the we do still we still have our in-person follow-up program we try to see everybody every year sometimes it's two years um we but our our first line of follow-up assistance is our line that a phone line that um, guide dog users can call and uh, ask any questions. We do as much phone follow-up as we can. If that is not working, then we will send someone into the field certainly. But Mm -hmm. we also just try to drop in and say hi to people. Um, I'm an instructor and one of the things that I'm still able to do is occasionally pop out in the field. I work in admissions now, but I occasionally pop out in the field and get some follow-up done. And and it's always enjoyable to catch up with people because when you're not at a campus-based school, you don't really get to see everybody quite the same way. I would say regarding our wait list, we do have at this point, I used to say as an employee in general that, you know, in admissions used to say probably six to 12 months, we are a small school with only shepherds. The shepherds are sometimes not as flexible as exactly what they need. You know, it's a breed that needs what it needs. So, um, and, and like some of the other schools I've heard talking about, our focus is on individual matching. Um, what, I, what I've added now is, I can add now, is that because of the pandemic wait list, we are now at 18, up to 18 months in some cases, maybe a little longer. Uh, we prioritize Fidelco guide dog users when they need another dog. However, that is still dependent on an individual match. So that if you are a guide dog user of, you know, Fidelfo guide dog user waiting for a dog, as much as we want to just turn around and say, here's the next dog, people are still going to have to wait until, you know, the right dog shows up for them. And so we are placing um, typically 30 to 37 dogs a year. And that's definitely on the lower end with the pandemic. Um, we've got two apprentices who've toughed it out through the pandemic they're going to be hopefully finishing up soon and we just hired two more apprentices who are um, green under the gills as it were so <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to yeah that that first moment that was first six months when you are so excited about being an apprentice but then you also at the same time go I had no idea what I was getting into um, <laughs> it's a real life changing moment um So I'm just, we're excited to be here. Um, We're not gonna be having booths at the conferences, but we, the conventions this summer, but we will have a couple of staff members there either volunteering or catching up with our own guide dog users. So we'll hopefully bump into people this summer. And uh, it's just nice to see all of you and thank you for the time.
3: Thank you so, so much, uh, Gretchen. I love them pointy-eared shepherd dogs. All right. So the next presenter is Guide Dogs for the Blind.
15: Jake Cook, it is your turn. Thanks so much for um, having me here today. Lots of familiar voices on the call and some new ones as well. I always appreciate that. Uh, Formerly, my name is Jake Cook. I'm the Community Outreach Specialist here at Guide Dogs for the Blind. I've been with the organization just this side of 10 years. Can't believe it. It's been quite a ride. I'm a guide dog handler myself, traveling with my third guide, a female Black Labrador Retriever named Forley. And she just turned eight a couple months ago already. Gosh. So uh, a little bit about Guide Dogs for the Blind. We were founded in 1942 in Las Gatos, California. We moved to our present-day headquarters in 1947. Those are located in San Rafael, California, a little town north of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco Bay Area. In excuse me, in 1995 we opened up a second campus in the very exciting town of Boring, Oregon. I can never say that with a straight face and i get a lot of miles out of that little joke so (laughs) and that's where i'm talking to you uh from today our boring oregon campus uh between uh our two campuses in a quote-unquote normal year we serve about 300 guide dog teams that has been a little disrupted for you know you guessed it the global pandemic uh we're steadily working back um to that number Uh, We breed our own stock of Labradors, Golden Retrievers, and a Labrador Golden Retriever crossbreed. The bulk of our dogs, about 70% are labs, 20% Golden Lab crosses, and about 10% Golden Retrievers. We serve clients in all the 50 states as well as the entire nation of Canada and provide all of our services free of charge. We provide both in-residence and in-home training. We have a two-week training program, two to one client to instructor ratio, and take between four and six students uh, per class every two weeks on both campuses. Now, just because we have two campuses, uh, that uh, doesn't mean that we have two different training models. Um, So we're two campuses united under one organization and one training philosophy, so regardless if you, are selected to go to either Oregon or California, you will get the exact same training experience. We are a customized training program as well, so if you do need specific aspects of the guide dog lifestyle trained into your dog, you'd like to be exposed to a variety of environments, we do try to simulate and replicate the environments that you find in your home area. Let's see, what else have we been up to? So we are continually growing our youth services. So if you know uh, children who are blind or visually impaired, please do um, connect them with our services. Our youth services include um, youth, uh, specifically youth outreach to um, groups of children who are blind or visually impaired, as well as our canine buddy program. So these are career changed dogs that are specially trained um, as buddies for children and their families along with our uh, camp program called Camp GDB, Camp Guide Dogs for the Blind, and a whole host of other um, community outreach centered around um, youth. And that is overseen by Jane Flower, youth outreach specialist, (laughs) a wonderful colleague of mine, does an excellent job with the program. We also offer an orientation and mobility immersion program. So like many guide dog schools, we do require the completion of orientation and mobility training at some point during your life. Um, But we understand that a lot of people can't get O&M training or maybe get enough O&M training um, to be um, successful with a guide dog. So the way our O&M immersion program works, it's one week in length. It's a very similar application to our guide dog application because we do collect uh, very similar information and the idea of the program is is it's skills-based meaning we are trying to bridge the skills gap between what you have currently and what you need to qualify for a guide dog so i do encourage you to check that out We also provide a whole suite of follow-up services, including a telephonic support center, veterinary financial assistance, and annual follow-up visits. Feel free to visit our website, guidedogs.com, or give us a call at 800-295-4050, and I'd be happy to answer any questions towards the end of the call. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you so very much, uh, Jake. Wow, I'm so impressed with all these reports. You all have done such an amazing job. Our next presenter is Southeastern Guide Dogs. And that presenter is Jennifer Johnson, it is your turn.
16: Thank you, Vicki, no problem. Uh, Thanks for having me here. This is my first time doing the school update, although I think that we've done it in the past just by somebody else. Uh, My name is Jennifer Johnson. I'm the director of the Guide Dog Program here at Southeastern Guide Dogs. Uh, Southeastern was founded in 1982 and we are in Palmetto, Florida. So we're on the west central area of Florida, right between um, Tampa and Sarasota very close to the beautiful Gulf of Mexico. A little bit about our culture here at Southeastern. We pride ourselves on four core values that all of our staff and all of our volunteers follow, and that is respect, integrity, stewardship, and excellence. So we show Respect for all of our staff, our volunteers, our clients, and, of course, our dogs that come through the program. Uh, We uphold the highest standards of integrity in all of our actions. We manage our resources with extraordinary care, and we also pursue excellence in everything we do through innovation. So a little bit about our dogs and our programs here. We have uh, pretty much all labs now. Uh, in the past, if you've known Southeastern, we used to do Vishlas, we used to do Aussies uh, and Collies and we'd use the smooth coated Collies. And we haven't had those for a few years now. We use labs and we used golden retrievers for a while. We've faded out the golden retrievers too and focused on labs. We have really good lines and a lot of success with those placements. Uh, Every now and again, we still get some golden crosses in. So we'll have the lab golden crosses, but pretty much it's all labs now. We do all of our breeding and our whelping here on campus. We have an amazing uh, new building for our for our moms and our babies. We're also part of the breeding cooperative. So we do share stock and get puppies from other schools, guide dogs and service dog schools, Um, keeps our lines nice and clean and a lot of diversity there. So a little bit about our programs too, of course, we have our guide dog program, and that is mostly on campus or residential training, we have a 21 day program for our residents that come on campus. We can shorten it for, um, for people that are coming for successor dogs but really we like everybody to stay here for three weeks if you can you know every dog is different so training with a new dog if you can dedicate that time then we feel like that's a that's a much better setup for success with all the teams we do uh some home placement training as well that'll be a shorter program 10 to 14 days and that's mainly reserved for our clients that have some extenuating circumstances like small children at home or uh, they've had multiple guide dogs from us especially. Uh, We also have a program for our veterans and we provide service dogs to our veterans with PTSD. And that program also includes facility facility therapy dogs. So we have uh, quite a few dogs that are placed in some facilities across the country. We do emotional support dogs for our veterans and we also do uh, dogs for Gold Star families. The third program that we have is a program for our children and our teens. And this provides guide dogs for teens that are 15 and up. And they, uh, that program is very fluid with how they train. And we have a a parent come on campus and stay with them during the training, and they can stay anywhere from the one, from one week to three weeks. And then we will go home with the teen and also go. back to once they go back to school then we'll go back to school with them help them set up some routes navigate and also work with the schools to make sure that everybody's accepting of the dogs the administration the teachers the students all of them we have a kids companion program and this offers skilled companion dogs to visually and visually impaired children anywhere from ages 5 to 17. Um, we want to create some independence. We want to teach them what it's like to have a guide dog and to live with one and to care with for one and introduce them to the responsibility of having a guide dog. We also offer a teen camp, and this is a two-day immersive experience for our teens that are really close to getting a guide dog that they're really close to the age of getting a guide dog and they want to just know more about it. It's offered to the teens and their parents. So everybody comes to campus for two days and we have special parts of the program and and the camp that focus on the teens. They get to Walk with guide dogs, care for guide dogs, um, sit at school guest desks with guide dogs to let them know what it's going to be like to have the dog at school with them. And then we also have informational sessions for the parents so that they can ask their own questions and get their own information about what they're all getting into. Southeastern, we have a very robust alumni support program. So we have, of course, our alumni advisors. Those are our boots on the ground, those are the ones that do the follow up. Uh, training, they do uh, the troubleshooting, uh, and they're out there meeting all of our new applicants. We have uh, an alumni benefits program that supplies annual annual veterinary visits and vaccinations free of charge to our clients. We also have some special partnerships that we've set up to provide uh, free food, dog food, and... um, and free preventatives for our graduates. So those, uh, that's uh, with From Family Pet Food and also with code to provide trifectas. Uh, over the past year, we have had some staffing changes, myself included. I uh, have moved into the role of the director of the guide dog program. Rick Holden was our director for 34 years and he uh, retired and I stepped into the program. I've been here for, it'll be 16 years uh, next week, I think. Uh, June 26th, Uh, we also had Susie Wilburn, she was our director of admissions and she has stepped into a new role for as an outreach and recruitment ambassador and also she's a student advocate so the alumni services now falls under the guide dog training and myself. As for COVID, well, what haven't we done to adapt over the past two years? As of everybody else, it's just been fluid. We've been doing everything that we can to just get through to place dogs and get uh, get the help that our students need and our graduates need. Right now, currently, we are pretty much back to normal. We The only thing I think that's really changed is our class sizes has gone down. So we're down to about six students per class. We're keeping it at about a two to three uh, student ratio per class with a student to instructor. So um, that's about it. Our our class training is 21 days. Hopefully, we'll get back up to eight or nine um, in a in a class when things get normal back if that ever happens. Um, we it's a fluid situation. You know, we we're always looking at the COVID levels, what our local um, wow. cases are like and we'll, we'll change as we need it. But I think that is about it. Thank you guys for having me.
3: Thank you so very much, uh, Jennifer. All right, on to Leader Dogs for the Blind. David Laughlin, you are up.
17: Thank you, Vicki. Uh, good afternoon, good to be here, good to be here virtually with everybody. So I'm David Laughlin, I'm the Chief Program Officer over here at uh, Leader Dogs for the Blind. Um, so our program was established in 1939, and we are located in Rochester Hills, Michigan. Um, yeah, a few a few changes um, over the last couple of years here. Um, so traditionally, we were a four-to-one ratio in a guide dog program. So now we've reduced that ratio to three-to-one, um, but we've added some more classes in. So uh, in previous years, we would have 11 classes a year And now we have 14 within in that year. So um, class sizes are a little smaller, but just a little more regular. Um, Classes are three weeks in length. Um, We do have a flex program. So for anybody who may have uh, other things uh, going on in life, that means they need to get back home or to work or whatever it might be. um, We sort of recommend at least two weeks in the residence, and then we will do a week of follow up or whatever's needed beyond that, um, just to make sure people feel comfortable and supported and and confident in their travel skills. Um, We we still have a deaf blind program. So that's for individuals who are legally blind um, that uh, perhaps use ASL, whether that's tactile, ASL or visual. And uh, we're also serving clients in home as well. So we're serving nationwide across U.S., uh, Canada uh, and we do have a, a small number of clients that come from Latin America just for interest there as well our in-home program uh, 10 to 14 days depending on what the individual needs uh, we will serve in um, across the U.S. and Canada in home uh, breeds the traditional guide dog breeds so for the most part Labradors Golden retrievers labs labs cross with Golden retrievers some German Shepherds, a small amount, and and in, again in more recent years we've started to play with German Shepherd cross Labradors, which we're seeing um, a nice little bit of success there. Getting the, the the great qualities of the German Shepherd, but just adding in some of that Labradorie type stuff that we all appreciate. Um, all of our programs are free, including travel, accommodation, to and from um we have our orientation and mobility program so for a guide dog traditionally we we would serve 200 clients in a year um in this upcoming year we're looking around 150 160 so we're starting to build back up over the next two three years back to prior numbers prior to the pandemic uh orientation mobility um, that's one on one-to-one instruction. It's uh, seven days with five days of full instruction. And that's for anybody who perhaps is new to white cane, long cane training, um, to even established maybe uh, guide dog travelers who want to um, get their skills uh, perhaps polished up with the cane Um, do not need to be on track to have a dog it's not required Um, you could have a dog from another school Um, it really is an independent program for anybody who wants to develop their orientation and mobility skills Um, that's for the most part on campus but um, we have been doing a little bit of in-home orientation and mobility as well summer experience camp excited actually this coming sunday uh we have 16 and 17 year olds um who are legally blind coming in for our summer experience camp um there's gonna be lots of fun activities um there's a full day dog experience for those that wish to do that um, with a guided mobility instructor just working with caring for um having the dog with them throughout the whole day as well as, of course, discovering potentially leadership skills, building friendships with peers, lots of entertaining pieces. So um, this is our first summer camp back in person. So we're excited for that. We'll have 14 teenagers coming in this year, and we hope to keep doing that every summer. So typically applications for that close um, around the, the beginning or middle of April. And then just like I'm sure many have, we have virtual offerings as well. So we have a virtual version of the summer camp. Um, That's actually for 14 to 17 because we're able to extend uh, the age range for that. Um, Similar activities, um, lots of fun and games uh, there. Um, So really, yeah, that brings you up to speed with where we are at LeaderDoll.
3: Oh my, thank you so very much, um, David. By any chance, do we have guide dogs of the desert?
18: We do not. I was checking it. We don't have in the panelists and I'm not seeing any raised hands that are new.
3: Okay, I know they did tell me that they were having some trouble. What I will do is I will offer to take a report from them. And then what I will do is distribute that to our different lists so that folks can get some kind of an update. From Guide Dogs of the Desert. So we have completed our list. I do want to thank our wonderful Zoom Masters, uh, Deb Cook Lewis and uh, Maria Christic. I thank you. You just have done an amazing job. I'll turn it back over to you so you can talk about how people can get their questions answered.
1: Just before you start the questions. I forgot to announce door prizes. Um, So I'm going to announce four names right now. You don't have to be here because we're not there. And we'll mail the door prizes to you. It's going to be scrubby uh, bath mitts. You'll get a package of five, and they're wonderful. And the four people um, who uh, are winning the door prizes today are Ranita Heller, Roberta McCall, Anne, I don't know if it's Anne or Annie Doyle, and Audrey Shading.
3: As we uh, turn this over to uh, Maria with regard to questions, what we would like to ask of you is to curb your uh, questions more <laughs> towards a general nature. We, as much as we would like to hear some specifics about your dog and that type of thing, it's best to have your questions be more of a general uh, non-personal to individuals types so that, um, we can, you know, provide some general information for anybody that might be interested. So, okay, Maria, it is yours.
18: Thank you. And then my lovely host uh, today, Monica, as well, will be assisting with the hands. We'll go to Rachel then. I just wanted to, if, if he's still
19: here, um, I just wanted to say a quick hello to, um, Eric Lari, because I have a freedom guide dog named Dean and we're both doing very well.
18: Thank you, Rachel. Uh, Let's see. Next, we are going to have Nellie.
20: Hi everybody. Uh, This has been a wonderful presentation. Thank you, everybody. Um, I have a question for the gentleman from Pilot Dogs. My question is, I am, I'm tremendously uh, pleased to hear about um, all the changes and innovations that are happening. And I wanted uh, to know uh, have things changed in the manner of traffic training for pilot dogs?
14: Yes, 100%. So, and when you say the manner, do you mean the fact that we didn't do it very much historically? Yes. So, uh, we just did a very short, yeah. So, um, that is something again that we are starting um, very young with the dogs and um, uh, traffic training is a, a big part of what they end up doing um, or will end up doing at eighteen months because we've done so much with them up until that point that we can focus on things like that and to and to to address the the question about like customizing training uh that's really what what's happening when when our dogs are are at um you know 16 to 18 months and actually much earlier than that um they're doing a lot of the traditional functions they're stopping at curves they're stopping at truncated domes or they're uh stopping at steps and they understand escalators and and a lot of that stuff so our our more seasoned trainers are left not left with, but, but they're doing, you know, we like to say a lot of the fun stuff. So they're doing the, um, uh, the, the traffic training, they're doing stuff with, um, you know, nonverbal commands, like, you know, coming to, uh, you know, a subway drop off or something like that. So uh, the answer is yes. Long-winded way of saying yes.
20: Well, thank you so much because in today's world, that is really critical. Thank you.
14: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's extremely critical. And some of the stuff that, that, You know, I I can't do anything about the past. Obviously, I'm I'm uh, shocked that it wasn't done um, because uh, it. it, Yeah, I'm I'm shocked that it wasn't done. So, yes, yes,
18: ma'am. Next, we have someone of its under Zoom user. Okay, thank you, Maria. Thank you. This is Beth, and
10: uh, really enjoying this presentation. My question is for the person from Leader Dogs. Actually, there are two quickie questions. I'm trying to remember the exact terminology, but do you still use the method of training for stopping at curbs, let's say? It has the word stride in it, and I can't remember what that is. Uh, do you still use that method? And also for the o training, would you, uh, do you guys go to different states other than Michigan? To visit people in their homes if that is needed for just the OM training. Thank you very much.
17: Hi, Beth. This is David. Um, so for OM, certainly there could be a little bit of a wait, a wait, forgive me. Um, but yes, we would look at the individual's needs if we can accommodate it then we're going to do our best to do that. So so it's certainly not restricted to to Michigan at this point. It's just limited how many we can do a year. So that's really the only limitation. For curb work, I'm I'm not familiar with the term strides. I'm just, I'm kind of scratching my head and trying to think about what that might be. It's
6: it's Diane. I think she means breaking stride.
17: Oh, in terms of a technique. I see. I see. Yeah. So as you're approaching, if you've got... Um, are there clues, perhaps in the environment that you're coming to the end of the building line, um, approaching the curb, the dog's sort of breaking stride? Thank you, Diane. Yeah, that's
10: it, Yeah.
17: Yeah, that's- yeah, certainly. Just it, it all helps everything being control indicates to the dog as well. Yep. You're doing the right thing. We're going to start slowing down towards this curb. So, so I, I understand what you mean. So yes, that would be a part of the conversation for sure with each individual, depending on what their needs were.
18: Next we have Debbie. I have a quick
19: question and I'm sorry you said to make it a general question, but I can't. (laughs) Um, Dave Johnson. Um, you may have said this, but I was double-tasking as usual, so I missed something. Um, <laughs> how long is the waiting list at um, and And I guess anybody could answer the second part of my question, but um, at what age do you think um, considering retirement uh, should be? Um, My dog is almost nine, she'll be nine in September, and um, several people in my class, one person in my class uh, where she was um, had to, um, his dog uh, passed away. So I'm just kind of, I know I'm in that close uh, proximity to maybe thinking about applying, but I'm not sure.
9: Hi, Debbie, I'm here. Um, it's Dave. Uh, as Hi, far Dave. as our waiting list I did I don't think I did cover that. Um, we have a list right now of about 260 people waiting and that would be a normal um, number of people we would serve in one year. Um, and I so my answer is it could be a year, but it also depends. Um, other schools talked about the matching process and when you have dogs that match, People that have been waiting a shorter amount of time, but dogs that don't match the people who've been waiting longer, you're going to use the inventory you have to to match the people who've been waiting a little less. So sometimes it's a little shorter, but we're doing our best to whittle our way down through this list and and get her done. Now that we're back to full-size classes, we should be able to burn through the list in close to a year. And as far as retirement age, um, I think that varies. And I think you know, dogs tell us at different ages, sort of middle aged dogs start to show some quirky behaviors sometimes of things yep. that they didn't used to do when they were younger. They might be more reactive to noises and so on. But um, we've seen many dogs work past 10 years of age vibrantly. And, and but we also uh, recommend giving some retirement years to a dog and, and uh, letting it have a, a few. Years of leisure. So, um, what I would recommend is, is you give us a call and we'll talk about your individual needs and what you're seeing with your dog and, and, and coach you on that because it really is very personal and individual.
18: Thank you. Welcome. All right. And next we have Glenda.
21: To Melissa uh, from Guiding Eyes. I'm not hearing anything about what the great, if there is a graduate council anymore. And if so, what are they doing?
12: That's a great question, Glenda. This is Melissa. We do currently have a graduate council. Um, We have a couple ways that you can get in contact with them. I'm happy to speak with you offline about this. If you want to give me a call at 914-243-2244. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know what the Graduate Council is, that's our leading body of graduates within Guiding Eyes who kind of serve as a liaison between our graduate community and our staff here at Guiding Eyes. Um, so there are several ways you can get in contact with them over email. Um, we have a very active community on our email listserv and also a couple of Facebook groups. So, Glenda, I'd be happy to connect with you offline and go through these yeah. with you.
21: I need to do that because I'm not on the, on the group and I need to get on the group and I need, I'm on my third guiding eyes
12: dog. Okay. Uh, I'm, hap- I'm happy to help you. Absolutely.
21: Yeah. I want to, I want to give you a call and, and talk with you. Cause there's a couple things that I, I don't know what the graduate council's saying or doing, but I'm not happy about. So, and there are things I'm
22: happy about. So.
12: <laughs> okay. Well, happy goodness. to talk with you further. Good to hear from you.
18: Next we have Terry.
22: I was I would like to ask the gentleman from Pilot a question. Uh, in your new training methods, are you using both both to train dogs and then also in training students with dogs, are you using food rewards and clicker at all either in targeting or in general? And yes. I also want to commend you guys. I am so happy to hear about all the wonderful changes at Pilot. Thank you. Oh.
14: Well, thank you very much. And thank you for asking about our new puppy palace. I, 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 I heard that in your question. There's uh Tony. She's very happy to see everybody. There's Izzy back there. And that's our new little puppy palace that uh, has about we had a, somebody on here had a litter of 12 puppies. We had a litter of 12 also that was just awesome to deal with. Um, so, yeah, we use food uh, until we're blue in the face. Um, uh, so clickers. I'm not a, I mean, clickers are great. Clickers are fine. Um, We don't use clickers uh, for things that are uh, verbal commands. So if we're doing a sit, let's say, um, we don't do sit, click, feed, sit, click, feed. Uh, We do sit, sit, sit. um, And uh, we do uh, clicker for nonverbal commands. So if a dog comes to a a curb and stops on their own, uh, that will be a click uh, for sure. And we don't do clickers with students as of yet, Um, it just seemed like it was just one more thing to put in their hands, Um, if you know we're we're amenable like it seems like everybody else is, which is just really awesome to hear. Um, If we've got a more advanced student and it's making some sense and it's making a difference in the training, uh, then we'll do it as long as they can handle it. Um, we don't want to put something in their hands that's actually detrimental to the their training or, or takes them backwards. Was that was that it? I thought it was a two part. It was clicker food. Um,
18: I think she was just yeah. saying happy to see all the changes. It was a comment.
14: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. thank you. Me too. <laughs> all
18: right. Next we have Judy.
21: This is Judy. Um, <clears throat> I must say I'm
18: thrilled with my new
21: Seeing Eye dog Echo, but I would like to ask trainers. I'm very curious. If any of them could, uh, any of the school people could speak. What is the problem with poodles?
9: I can answer, Judy, from our perspective at CNI, They haven't been purpose bred for guiding very much. There's not a giant genetic pool of of standard poodles um, being bred as guides. They tend to have uh, be noise reactive and alert bark, um, and so and, and s- some of the ones we've seen have confidence issues. So, and there's just not enough demand for them. So that's been the problem, you know, to, to train multiple, multiple dogs and have them not make it when you're needed to serve just one person. It becomes really difficult. And so we stick with the breeds that work the best for us.
18: If anyone else wants to weigh in on, on that one, but we do not have any other hands at the
9: moment.
8: Hi, all. This is Eric oh. the Freedom Guide Dogs. Like I said before, we tried the barbets, which the French were using, and now we're experiment, I'm experimenting with the Bouviers. I've known they've worked in the past because a couple of my clients in the early days had Bouviers through Guiding Eyes and another program. So we know they can be guide dogs. And we're just working on developing our own line of Bouviers to be working guide dogs. The ones we have out as guides are from the same bloodlines as the Bouviers we're now going to breed. So we're hoping to have, see good things with it. My wife, Sharon, was instrumental in creating a smooth-coated collie line, which in, we're into the second, almost third generation of producing as guide dogs for breeding, third generation of breeding of, of a of breed dog to produce working smooth-coated collie puppies. And we also used what she experimented even further into using um, what we would call um, Lollies. It was named by one of the puppies They're lab collie crosses, first generation only, and they tend to work very well. We have we've had a number of years of producing lollies, and we usually produce only one, maybe two litters a year, because we like to produce a collie litter each year, also. Um, and the lollies are they 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 the smooth coats can tend to be a little too sensitive and um and labradors can be a little bit strong so if we get the right winning combination we have a a collie-esque dog with a little more stamina as far as the challenges coming up and the soundness and the like so we we, we've always been a fan of those again back to our, our guiding eyes days Um, They were using smooth collies at the time and then it stopped. My wife had raised one that had a visual impairment problem. And that's one of the challenges in that breed also is there, they have a couple of anomalies that can cause vision problems. So it's again, a a lot of uh, work into creating a a breed dog that can produce a a decent collie as a guide dog. And that, so those are the, two to two and a half unique breeds that we're using. And I'm, I'm happy with the Bouviers, it's gonna take a while, but we, we, we're gonna produce two more guide dogs this year. We're gonna produce at least three to six Bouviers next year as guide dogs. So I hope that helps.
3: Hey, um, Eric, would you uh, be willing to do me a favor? Um, I have a feeling that there are some folks who maybe don't really have an idea as to what a Bouvier looks like would you be willing to give just a, a basic description of what a bouvier looks
8: like okay thank you I would I'll do the best I can um, they're taller per se than labs I think the females sometimes can be a, a, as a tall lab and they're very look much bigger than they really are I mean the males can get up to a hundred pounds or so but I haven't seen that with the three four males I, I've worked with, and uh, we haven't worked with any females, to be honest with you yet, come to think of it. We will be now. We, we, we have several of, uh, several of two different litters that we, we acquired the puppies from the same bloodlines as the ones that have succeeded. They, they're, they're very fuzzy. Their hair is straight though, as averse to a, la, a poodle or a barbet, and a barbet tends to look just like a poodle, if, you, if people say in general. Um, their, their hair is very straight. And um, one of my clients was just flying. And uh, to give you a good description, she's, she's had flown with a number of dogs over time. And she had the dog on the floor and the, the stewardess didn't see her get on the plane. And the stewardess came by and said, uh, ma'am, you can't leave that on the floor. And she goes... She goes. I goes. I has to leave it on the floor. She goes. You can't leave your coat on the floor. And, and and she goes. That's Bob, the guide dog. And then Bob opened his eyes. The hair came up. They saw eyeballs in that mass of hair because she likes a little bit of coat on them. Not not. You can cut them down to a, a crew cut or you know just bare. You know a, t- a fairly not tight but a, a, a very short hair. And it just grows back. And it was so funny because he does. He looks like a throw rod when he's blowing out. And, and I watched to give you if you if anybody had seen the other night the uh, Madison Square Garden well, the Kennel Club show, the Bouvier they had on there had three times as much coat as Bob did. <laughs> I can't imagine. You know, you gotta it's the downside, you have to trim them. But they they they, they one good thing was what we worked with and um, I think we're going to stay with it whether people agree or not they this breeder and maybe others have do not crop the ears so they're floppy ears like a labrador which I'm very happy with but they do crop the tail and I we're we're, we we may stick with that because the tail is such a mess for these breeds of dogs you know with, with the long hair even when you you'd have to be shaving it by you know bi-weekly or tri-weekly you'd have to shave the tail so we're still we're, we haven't had our own litter on the ground yet to decide what we're going to do with that but that that is one area that that we may stick with and i can't make a promise either way that's going to be a a group decision by the the tops of our program but we really like the breed. They, they're much more like a Labrador than, than uh, in, 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 in a lot less herding instincts. And they still have their interests, but it's not as bad, but they're fuzzy, you know, uh, from, from the tip of their nose to their little nubby tail. So I hope that helps. If anybody wants a specific, let me know.
3: Are they like dark gray in color?
8: Oh, good question. I didn't touch on any of that. I, I've trained cream, gray, and black so far. So those are the three colors I'm familiar with. And we have cream on the ground. Our breed dog is a cream color. And I don't know what the ones are coming in are since I work out of Florida, but I'm planning on placing one in Florida, up in Daytona um, this fall, you know. And one out on the peninsula of Florida. Two of them I plan on placing Florida. One I know is, I don't know their color yet, to be honest with you.
18: We do have, let's see, uh, we have Beth again with a raised hand. Okay, thank you. This is for
10: anybody. I won't take the time to go into what this means because those of you who are into guide dogs will know. And if you're not, you can certainly look it up, you know, if this is new to you. Obedience Exercises. They always seemed to me to be so counterproductive because when you tell the dog to start the exercise and you're supposed to tell them each step, but they know what you're going to say and they do it, then you got to correct that. You got to start over again. And it just seemed to be such a rat race. And I wondered, do this, it, are there any schools who do not do the obedience? It would seem to me that you should just be able to tell your dog to do quote-unquote, obedience stuff in the everyday run-of-the-mill life that you lead with your dog. So could, could somebody please talk to obedience exercises? Are they still seen as something worthwhile? Thank you.
7: Um, This is Lauren from the Guide Dog Foundation, and I can tell you both as a handler and then what our instructors always refer to our students and let our students know is that it's important to, at least from our world, vary the order you're giving those those instructions and commands and cues to avoid that dog anticipating what's going to happen. Always adjusting your length of your obedience session, changing up your order, changing up what you're asking, changing up the location you're doing it. It is still something we encourage our graduates to do every day, if at all possible, as it has many benefits to ensuring your dog is up to stuff on those skills, is able to repeatedly do them. It can also help dogs just use their brain a little bit on maybe a day you're not going to get out too much. Um, And even in the beginning can help with, with the bond during those first years or so when we all know that bond is still developing.
0: This is Greg with Guide Dogs of America. We also encourage a lot of our graduates to incorporate um, some obedience during their routes or when they're out working their guide dogs. So, for instance, if you're going into a store, you know your dog has a tendency towards distraction, just to do some sits and downs. Um, just to help focus your, your guide's attention on you again um, prior to proceeding. So we, we don't always do formal obedience every day during training, um, but we certainly encourage it once our graduates go home, um, like Lauren said, to, to vary why you do it, when you do it, the order that you're doing it in, but also to incorporate it sometimes in some of the routes that you're doing.
6: This is Diane from CNIB Guide Dogs. Um, so we do, we do obedience training in class. We encourage it um, as the other schools do. But the primary reason for it is um, getting the dog, again, bonded, getting the dog to listen to you and get them focused on you so that you can get their attention. So increasing the distractions um, that are around you um, and, you know, maybe do it where there's other dogs around to get them back focused on you. So there's we, we do different things. We don't do it every day. We don't tell people they have to do it every day. Um, I have a CNIB guide dog myself. I do not do it every day, but I will do various obedience things to keep her mind occupied because dogs like to have their mind occupied. So you you mix it up, maybe teach them a new little thing and mix in obedience within that. This is Gretchen from Fidelco
5: along with all of the other um, pieces of this that people have touched on, such as varying routine, you know, things which also includes not just varying the, the order in which you might give a command, but varying duration and distraction also um, to keep the dog on its toes those are all important pieces uh, another place and certainly as was mentioned uh, doing obedience if there's a place where your dog is distracted in that's a nice time uh, to bring its attention back to you you know regard you know whatever's going on in the environment right now you know you should be listening to me because it provides an opportunity for the dog to really be not learning the routine But learning to wait for what you're asking for and not anticipate, because we all know anticipation, some places it's helpful, but often it is not. And I will say as an instructor, my own experience, it has been helpful to have people add it um, for some dogs or situations where uh, when you take the dog out of a vehicle or when you step out of your house, Uh, It can be helpful to do a short obedience routine, again, maybe varied, uh, maybe not the same one every time, Um, just to really get the dog focused on you, especially with young dogs, where sometimes when you just get up and go, their mind isn't always on, you know, like let's work now. It might be partially there or they might, you know, succumb to a little distraction. So to me, it's, I would say Fidelco, it's not about learning the routine. It's using it, as has been mentioned here in many instances, as a practical tool.
18: If no one else has anything on that one Uh, we can go to Glenda.
21: I'm really curious about the school and I don't remember which one that that, uh, uses Dobermans because I would think that would be more aggressive dog unless I have some misconceptions. I'd be really interested in
4: hearing about uh, the thinking in training Dobermans. Dobermans are actually very very sweet dogs um, y'all didn't know, but, uh, I have two Dobermans in the room with me right now. And, uh, the big black male came up a number of times during the, uh, presentations and gave me a kiss. <laughs> uh, they're very, very loving, very, very sweet dogs. Uh, they are not aggressive dogs for people that think they are, they are terribly mistaken. Um, But uh, they are Velcro dogs. They love to be with their person. My two dogs that are with me usually are, they stay in the office all day. Very happy to do so. Um, They are uh, very quick learners. Um, The worst thing about a Doberman is that it is, in its younger day, a fairly highly distractible dog. You have to be a really good handler to keep the dog's mind on its work. And um, if you do that for the first few months, you have a wonderful dog that's just unbelievably good. I've had Dobermans now since 1968. And, um, of course, that's my breed. but um, And I've always, always loved them. So, um, no, they're not aggressive dogs, not at all. They should not be. Uh, Back in the 70s, they were. The Doberman breeder turned the breed around, and um, they are not really aggressive dogs now. This is Sarah.
2: Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, thank you. Um, I would like to just uh, talk real quickly about the Doberman. Um, I am a very proud... uh, uh, handler of a Doberman from Gallant Hearts and I just received her in April of this year and I had Labradors before and but like what Becky Floyd said um, my Dober is extremely sweet and so lovable and so smart um, it, it has uh, it's been different working with the Doberman than, than the Labrador. Yeah. But um, uh, with the expert training, you get not only working with the dog, but learning about the Doberman has it helped me extremely a lot uh, so much. And, uh, but yes, they
4: are very, very sweet. Almost like a Labrador. It's <laughs> Those that have Dobermans, um, people that have Dobermans, we say you'll never go to the bathroom alone again. Because they're just right with you. Aren't they, Sarah? Uh, (laughs) Yes.
2: They're like a Velcro dog. Yeah, they are. That's why we call them a Velcro dog. And that is the absolute truth. And they're, They're wonderful. Absolutely wonderful.
18: Next, we have a phone number that is area code 410 ending in 927.
23: No question. Just a very quick comment. Um, I've been to a number of ACB conventions way back when, you know, when I had the money to do so and I wasn't retired and I've encountered Becky Floyd a number of times, Becky, this is Vanessa Lowry from Maryland. And every time I've seen her working with one of her Dobermans, um, I can attest to the fact that they were very well behaved under excellent control, caused no chaos, you know, nothing. They, they were perfect. Ladies or gentlemen, depending on their sex, and with that, I'll disappear so somebody else can um, uh, can chime in.
18: All right, thank you. Okay, we do have we have Terry.
22: Thank you. um I do have a general question for the schools that use both Labradors and Goldens, and I'm wondering if anyone could comment on. Some of and I realize individual differences are often bigger than breed differences or matter more than breed differences. But if we ignore that, could someone talk a little bit about overall the general differences in working with a golden and working with a lab and also in training them? Thank you.
6: This is
15: Jake with Guide Dogs for the Blind. I'd be happy to um, kick this conversation off. So um, both are pretty similar. you know, in terms of how they're motivated, they're, you know, social, they want to be with you, you know, kind of like some of the other breeds we've talked about. Um, Golden Retrievers definitely have, in many cases, a little bit more of a need to really, like, kind of be next to you, if I'm borrowing the term Velcro dog, you know, they they want to be near you, they want to be touched by you, they really like that, Um, they get a lot of um empowerment from their handler and in being with people. Um, Labradors, it appears, um, anecdotally at least, um, and from observation, tend to be a little bit less of that, and a little bit more of like, play with me, throw the ball for me, play tug with me. You know, they they want to be doing something with you. Um in terms of handling, they're relatively similar. They learn you know the same commands and that sort of thing. Um, so, so there are some differences, but they're very similar, uh, overall, at least from the ones that are trained here, guide dogs for the blind.
6: It's, it's Diane from CNIB guide dogs. Um, I, 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 can't really express because I'm not a, a GDMI or guide dog trainer, but I am a guide dog handler. Um, we use both golden retrievers, Labrador retrievers and crosses of those two breeds. I have worked, um, guide dogs now for decades and uh, have worked um, shepherds, goldens, golden uh, lab, golden crosses and uh, golden retrievers. And I, my preference is a golden, my, from a handler perspective, I always say working a shepherd is like follow is like working with a a soldier. When you say left, that dog is going to snap to the left. Working a Labrador is definitely very, um, very driven to do the job. Lovely dogs. They kind of have a little bit of a wiggle and a waddle. It's really fun to be behind a, a lab holding the harness. And following a golden is like working with a ballerina. The dog just floats and has a little trot. And when you say left, they'll go left. But it's not a sharp. It's more like a, please come with me. So that's uh, that's the the handler experience. I will say that I also think that um, goldens tend to have a stubborn streak at times, and um, they they will love you to pieces, uh, but sometimes it's it's on their terms. So, uh,
18: hearing no other comments on that, uh, Leslie.
6: Hi,
23: um, I just want to say about just what i've noticed with the um i'm most familiar with uh labs i've i've had seven of them and one thing i really like about the labs are um the the just just the the personality and friendliness that's so i don't know it's just amazing. Goldens, I've I've met in lots of them. <laughs> and um, and one thing I noticed is that every time I'm with my friends, their goldens are like head-betting me all the time going, come on, come on, pet me, pet me. I want you to <laughs> always trying to get you to, you know, like somebody was saying, you know, they want you to touch them, pet them all the time. I'm like, with my dogs i'm like okay i'm done you know i'm done playing now go lay down and they're like okay i'm 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 okay with that and with the goldens it's like would you please leave me alone now (laughs) go away you know i'm I'm done but they push you and push you until you you know it's like oh man um but anyway i just wanted to say that this has been a fabulous presentation it's been wonderful to hear about the schools and how many you know what what type of dogs they each have and and the programs i've really enjoyed this whole program it's
21: wonderful thank you all right glenda don't get tired of hearing from me i love the description of the lab and between the lab and the golden because i've had both but my golden wasn't a she oh she could be stubborn but she was a gorgeous dog, and and that that float that you know the way you described um, her walk, and then the difference in the lab, but you know is is it was great. Um, question that I'd like any of the um, the schools to answer: What are some of the medical issues we should be attuned to between? predominantly lab golden and shepherds because those seem to be the predominantly three breeds that um that we all are most familiar with what are some of the primary medical issues that we should be attuned to that you see most common or maybe not so common
5: this is gretchen fidelco i can say that um Historically, degenerative myelopathy has been an issue in shepherds everywhere. There is now a genetic test that um, they're able to look for the gene that is one of the possible causes of DM. Um, It's not necessarily the, that particular gene is not necessarily the only cause. It is thought that it may have um, also environmental implicate, you know, conditions that may Be may allow the gene to be expressed there it's not there's still some unanswered questions about DM so it's not the be all the end all but all of our breed dogs coming in are certainly tested for that so that's something that is out there in the breed that, um, I know Fidelco is, is, uh, making sure to test all breed dogs to limit the potential for that. Um, we have certainly seen allergies in shepherds that that's been an issue, including some, in some cases, certainly where, you know, wherever we are, the dog in Connecticut, the dog may not have allergies, but when that dog goes to a new country, that dog may be found allergic to something. I think that's, but possible for any breed, any individual dog. But in shepherds, we definitely skin skin questions do come up, um, especially more recently. Than I mean, I've been at Fitoka for about twenty years, and it's probably more common now that we see than we used to be. We used to we don't we didn't used to see it as much. So those are probably the two. And I know there are a number of other potentials, but those are probably the the one the concern about D M, which we have worked to reduce, and the other is you know skin questions, and of course bloat. Uh, with all large breed dogs, that's always a a concern. So I'll see what anybody else has to say at their own schools.
18: Great. If anyone else wants to jump in, feel free. You all should be able to just unmute. Uh, This is
7: Lauren from the Guide Dog Foundation. And and while this isn't a, a direct health problem, obviously, you know, you see the The regular ones you might see with a larger dog as they age. So things to look for as your dog ages is obviously like an arthritis or something along that lines. And then um, one of the things we do actually recommend for our grads is our staff veterinarian likes the dogs once they turn seven or eight to begin going into the veterinarian twice a year instead of just once a year for routine visit and labs. Um, But while not necessarily a health issue, something that can lead to major health issues that I know we all are keen on keeping an eye on or at least try to is is obviously significant weight gain. Um, So that's a big thing to just watch out for and and keep those eyes keep your eyes and your feeling of your dog up to up to scuff with how your dog should be weighing. Many veterinarians actually will weigh dogs for free if you just go in and ask to get your dog weighed if it's your normal veterinarian Um, and even just to check maybe more often than uh, two, three times a year can help dogs maintain that weight. And then I'm at least at the Guide Dog Foundation, we're always willing to help our graduates. If there is a dog that, that gains too much, we can always help with dietary changes and things along that. So always feel comfortable reaching out to your school if that occurs.
16: I would, hi, this is Jennifer with um, Southeastern Guide Dogs. And I would echo what Gretchen and Lauren were saying, the, the allergy. we would see most and we used a lot of ear infections or skin infections hot spots those kind of things and then the weight gain over the years um all of our dogs have their eyes checked when they're coming for training and as puppies and of course, there's blood work done and all sorts of stuff, and um, the X-rays of the joints and things. But still, as the dog ages, there's there's any number of health concerns that could come up. Unfortunately, with these dogs, often the body fails before the spirit, and they want to keep working, but their body just can't keep up with it. So there's uh, any number of things you can look for when, and that could come up as the dog ages.
18: Uh, let's go to Nelly. Hi again.
20: Um, my question is about. Um, Um, What kinds of um, diets and dog foods um, are generally recommended? Because there are um, so many choices out there, um, including with um, sweet potato and and some kind of um, protein and um, things like um, lentils and peas and things like that. Um, are are some diets to be avoided? Thank you.
15: This is Jake with Guide Dogs for the Blind. Great question. Um, And I I think your question is an excellent example of why it's so important to have a great uh, working relationship with your local veterinarian, um, as they're going to be able to properly advise you on your dog's specific needs, health, that sort of thing you know here at guide up for the blind we do typically feed a standard food i think many schools do um the way it typically works at a large school is you know you're ordering food by the truckload <laughs> sometimes um so we use natural balance lamb and rice formula that is a pretty just well-rounded middle-of-the-road food it's got a nice balance of of um you know, nutrients and proteins and um, all the things that are going to be great for a large breed dog. We do consult with our veterinary team to come up with, with that. Um, but the food has changed over the years. You know, we also use some Yuganuba, um, We've used times over the years. So really what you're looking for is kind of a middle-of-the-road food. It doesn't have to be the most high-end gourmet thing, um, but it should have a nice balance of, um nutrients um and that's something that i would recommend speaking to your veterinarian about or if you're getting a dog for the first time you know doing some research finding a good veterinarian and just having a conversation and most guide dog schools will get you started on the food that they're feeding the dog and you can pretty much i would say trust that a guide dog school is going to be feeding um you know these highly trained dogs a a pretty middle of the road to high quality food to begin with. Um, but you could certainly um, change that if you if you felt the need to.
6: This is Diane from CNIB um, Guide Dogs. We um, we have our dogs typically on um, Royal Canin. Um, and, you know, we're exactly the same as what, what's been said about, it's very important to have a relationship with your veterinarian. We're going to provide you with whatever that dog um, is on throughout its puppyhood and into formal training. Um, but in some of them, it's gonna be uh, hypoallergenic. It's, it could be a different bro- uh, brand of dog food, but we typically go with Royal Canin. Um, I did want to say that um, one of the key principles at, uh, in our program is, was set up because we know that the employment rate for people um, who are blind or partially sighted is much lower unfortunately um, and very sadly in, in the in North America and so we wanted to make sure that the that finances wouldn't become a reason for somebody to not get a guide dog and have their freedom and independence so we provide all the costs for the veterinarian costs for the life of the dog um, birth to death and we also provide all of the Food costs for the dog for the working life of the dog. So we, like I said, we typically use Royal Canin, but the key thing is whatever's right for your dog is is what we're going to support in helping you to make sure that the dog gets what they need. And again, making maintaining weight is going to be one of our key um, issues.
12: This is Melissa from Guiding Eyes for the Blind. I'd say the other part to the equation, other than Food is what type of treats you're giving to your dog. So, you could be feeding them the best food in the world, but if you're giving them low quality treats, that could also contribute to weight gain, contribute to some other health issues. So, you really want to, again, consult with your veterinarian or your guide dog school because those of us who use positive reinforcement are very knowledgeable in low calorie and healthy treats that can, along with your food, go a long way to maintaining the health of your dog.
21: Lynn! I don't have a dog right now, but I have had five and I'm older. I have two questions. One is, what is the upper age limit uh, for schools? And number two, um, I also need a hyper hypoallergenic dog. I had a poodle, the last dog I had, and I retired her at nine um, after I broke my hip, but my hip is fine now. W- what is the upper limit and what other hypoallergenic dogs are there? I heard the Bouvier and I heard the, uh, uh, the poodle also.
18: And just before we take this question just so everyone is aware we have had to have a couple of schools um drop off so we don't yeah. have open. i
15: do th- i do that yeah
18: okay sure
15: this is the jake's red dogs for the blind i'll answer the first part of the question uh in our program particularly we do not have a posted minimum nor maximum age requirement so we do view each uh, client individually um and we do use a variety of tools to help assess candidacy especially on the younger end maturity needing a dog, um, completed ONM training, rest routes, etc. But it's also the same for folks
7: um, who are older as well. So we, we kind of try to look at everybody um, holistically. This is Lauren from the Guide Dog Foundation. It doesn't look like any of the hypoallergenic schools are still on, so I can tell you where we've been referring, like our initial applicants that are coming in, so people that are new to us um, and looking for our pool program that we've temporarily suspended. Um, as far as I'm personally aware and the rest of my team, um, the only two options are, yeah, main two options at the moment, well, I actually learned today we've got three now, but, um, pilot, guide dogs of the desert. And then, um, it sounded, like I think freedom had a, that option as well for hypoallergenic. Um, but that's what we've been doing or just having people go to IGDF or ADI themselves to do their own personal research.
18: So, um, I guess Lynn, I would, uh advise you to reach out to the, it sounds like your, uh, best bet is to reach out to those three programs and find out, uh, the age limit questions. So, all right, next we have Penny.
24: Hey everybody, this is Penny. I just, um, wanted to give an endorsement to Freedom Guide Dogs. I have a new Freedom Guide Dog and I'm like the case study for someone who's blind with an additional disability. I'm going to be 76 in July When I applied to Freedom and we did the Juno walk, I already had COPD, which I've had for a number of years, and I've done well with Fidelco dogs and seeing eye dogs under those circumstances. But at the beginning of this year, I got COVID and I got better, but then I developed what appears to be long COVID and my breeding difficulties improved. And I just want to tell you all that I have never worked with anyone who is so accommodating as Dave Dave Such from Freedom, and the school has just been fabulous. My dog's name is Yara. She is adorable. She is a smooth coat collie. Um, We go out, but we don't go far, and she's doing just fine with, you know, occasional obedience. In fact, I've never had a new guide dog who is so responsive. I have never once called her in two and a half months when she didn't come immediately. She might come a little slowly, but she always makes it. So I just want to tell you all, I know that that's a persistent question among guide dog users as we all get older. It's what's going to happen when I get older and my disabilities change and my needs change and freedom is just so accommodating. So I just want to give them a plug. Um, And I also want to remind everybody that on our website, we have wonderful guide dog school surveys uh, we may update them again in the next year or two, but they're fairly up to date right now. And it's a good way to compare the different schools to see who does what. So what a great program, Maria and Maria and Sarah and everybody and Deb and all the people that are helping with the, uh, the Zooming. And uh, thank you all very much, have a great convention.
22: And we have Terry.
24: I wouldn't have asked so
22: many questions, but there weren't other hands up. Can any one of the schools comment on whether they are doing any training of persons using power wheelchairs with the dog guiding? I know it's been done in the past, but I'm wondering if, and I realize it would be a case-by-case decision, but could anybody comment, please? Thank you. This is Jake with uh, Guide Dogs for the Blind. Uh, Our current policy
15: with that is we support our current graduates in the field who are uh, wheelchair users, but we're not accepting new wheelchair guide dog applicants at this time. This is
16: Jennifer with Southeastern Guide Dogs, and I believe we have that same policy. If we have uh, users out there, we're supporting them but not taking any new applicants.
18: Okay, hey, and we don't have uh, any more hands and we have about two minutes. So uh, if you'd like to do a closing, Vicki, Maria, Sarah.
3: I just wanted to thank the panelists again so much for putting a terrific uh, presentation together also to our Zoom masters and to the attendees for wonderful questions. And it's just been very informative and um, I am very grateful for all who participated.
1: Thank you. And this is Maria Hanson, your program chair. And I wanna thank everybody. I wanna thank the Zoom host. And the attendees, and we can see on Zoom, the people that are here Zoom, but there are also people that are listening on their lady aid devices. And this uh, session will be podcast later. So um, thank you all again. We have two sessions coming up tomorrow that I hope people will attend. One is on cryopreservation, and that's a presentation uh, by people from Southeastern. And after that, we have um, a presentation about smart technology, the Smart Collars. It's a program uh, between Guiding Eyes, IBM, and North Carolina State University. Um, and then we have a couple of events uh, during the week of uh, the first week of July. So I hope people will uh, attend those two. And uh, just a big, big thank you to all the schools here you can tell people this is the most popular session every
19: year well thanks everyone and everyone have a great day